0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. I got to start out by giving a giant shout out to Ray Commend. I think he did a freaking awesome job last week, and I'm so glad that we're able to finally have guest hosts on here, and I hope to see more of it. Um, Also, what did you think of him standing in front of the green screen for the backgrounds? To be perfectly honest, if my apartment was set up different, that's how I always wanted to do it, and I thought it looked awesome. You guys are stuck with this every time I do it, but <laughs> just out of curiosity, I wonder what people think of that because I thought it was really cool. So, anyway, another huge shout out and thank you to Ray I'll leave links to his Twitter and his YouTube channel below. And uh, please subscribe to him if you liked his work. But let's jump into the news. First up is a new plugin for the Beast Nest emulator that allows it to render Mode 7 graphics in high definition. And I think stuff like this is absolutely incredible. Um, I'm a huge fan of emulation for whenever it could add to something or do something that original hardware can't. Very often that's things like debugging, which allows a lot of the stuff that we have in the retro gaming community to exist at all. But sometimes it's stuff like this, where it's a very fun way to play. And basically it renders all of the mode seven stuff in HD, but not the main characters. So you still have which I think is a good thing. I guess that's preference, but you still have the same look of things like the pilot in Pilot Wings, but all of the backgrounds are now rendered in a higher resolution. Uh, Bu also was able to take this and tweak it so that you could decide how high a resolution it's uh, upscaled to, and I believe there's even a feature now added that allows you to downscale it back to 240p. So it still looks clearer, it's just in a, the, more of a look that you would expect from in an old 240p source. But stuff like this is awesome. Um, you know, one of these days I really want to do a video on why I love emulation. Because that's been such a huge part of my life since I was a kid. And I think so many people misinterpret a lot of the things that I say as, I hate software emulation, I don't use it. And that couldn't be any farther from the truth. The only difference is that when I actually take the time to sit down and play a game, most of the time I choose original hardware on an RGB monitor or an FPGA solution like Mr. or one of Kevtriss' things, but I still love emulation for stuff like this, and it's things like this that would make me want to use an emulator playing on my flat screen TV. So. Also, thank you to Vanessa for writing this one up. I kept telling everybody, I'll do it. Uh, I want to do a video on it, but I never had time. So (laughs) thanks very much for stepping up and getting it done. Because I really wanted to tell people about this and kind of explain, in my words, what it does and why I think it's awesome. Here's some good news for fans of the Datapath Vision capture cart, the one that I did that whole video on recently. It looks like the latest version of the firmware will now natively be supported in OBS and this was kind of a struggle for a while because unless you installed the drivers in kernel mode you would have trouble in obs if it would work at all Um, now with the latest version as of 7194 and i guess afterwards uh, it doesn't ask if you'd like to install in kernel mode or in user mode it just installs in one mode and then you're able to use it in obs natively so it's pretty awesome Um, if It's my personal opinion that if your setup is already working fine, don't touch it. (laughs) But if you're going to install one of these for the first time, or if you have to rebuild your PC, or, you know, if you're having any issues now, all you'd really need to do is run the new version of the driver, reboot, and you're good to go. So that's some pretty awesome news, because I love those Datapath cards, and there's a small chance I might even be getting one of the new new ones. So I'm pretty excited. This news is already outdated, but there's two important points around it that I wanted to make, so hopefully stick around anyway. Uh, The Sega Saturn optical drive emulator for the Model 1 Saturn, the Phoebe, went on sale on Saturday, Um, and I was really curious to see what people's experiences were. This time it went on sale at noon uh, New York City time, and was it the same as always? Was it a total shit show with it selling out within seconds and most people not being able to get it? Or did it actually, was it a real sale with more than five? (laughs) I'm I'm making up the number. I don't know how little they are, but it's certainly what it felt like every other time. Uh, I was very busy. I didn't have time to to even check it out and see. So uh, maybe post in the comments below and let us know what it was like. Is the seller getting better at these things? Or is it still just a nightmare? And also, I wanted to mention this because uh, while this was very time sensitive, obviously, I posted it with... Um, You know, I think at least a day's notice and I forgot to tweet about it. So what I think I'm going to do in the future, probably sooner rather than later, is make the retro RGB Twitter account just for the website and have it just be something that tweets this and then would retweet time sensitive stuff. So a post like I just talked about would only go up once, but something like this would be posted when I wrote it or whenever the writers wrote it, as well as maybe that morning as well as a reminder. So uh, I guess let me know your thoughts on both of those things. I guess the retro RGB becoming like an auto-tweet bot is something I've been trying to do for a while, and to be honest, the only reason I haven't done it is because working through Twitter stuff is always challenging, and... I just couldn't think of a good Twitter name for me. So uh, let me know your thoughts on all of that stuff, and I'll get that worked out sooner rather than later. And for any time-sensitive stuff, right now, you're still able to get an RSS feed. So if you use things like Feedly or any of the apps, you could still access this stuff pretty quickly without actually going to the site. So I just wanted to give everybody a heads up, and I'll make sure to read through the comments and see what everybody's opinions are. Here is a very piece of exciting news for all Capcom Arcade fans. Marcus has been testing his CPS HDMI solution on CPS1 boards and found that all you need is an adapter board and you'll be able to install his existing kit on CPS1 architecture as well. So that means that the current CPS HDMI board, which was designed for CPS2, obviously still works for that works on a CPS-3 with just some small changes to the way the installation's done, and now will also work on CPS-1s with this adapter board. So this is pretty great. Um, I can't wait to do a video on this stuff. I am just waiting for one more feature before I do a video, because I think that's going to be a make or break feature for a lot of people. It's just really exciting that um, while I love, love getting into super guns, I've really been enjoying getting into the arcade stuff, But just overall, this stuff can be intimidating, even for nerds that are already in their RGB retro gaming world. It's just a a lot of little weird caveats, much like with RGB stuff, but its own separate group of weirdness. So being able to have something that you could install or have installed into a CPS-1, and now especially that the Darksoft kits are nearing release, I believe, you could have one platform that allows you to experience CPS-1 games just with HDMI output. So it's pretty exciting. uh, I can't wait to dig into that video. I don't even care if just two people watch it. Whoever watches it is going to love what this stuff could do. So uh, anybody interested, um, there is the thread on the Shmups topic for this. But to be honest, this is something I'm really into. So I'll be making sure to keep this up to date on the website here. And the moment they're released, I'll be getting one in. um, And I'll be working with Jose to install it in a CPS-1 and get it tested. So, uh, awesome news for arcade fans wanting HDMI output from a CPS1. A company called Sweatproof Gaming has just released a $14 head strap that connects to the Nintendo Labo VR kit that allows you to wear the whole thing as uh, a head mounted VR unit. Uh, so, all of this VR talk on Switch, and especially stuff like this, has just brought up so many questions and ideas. First of all, it's just hilarious to me that Nintendo still doesn't have an official solution to strap this thing on, which is a complaint that they've been hearing since the Virtual Boy when no one wanted to lean into it. It would have been better if it was like a helmet or something. So they still haven't learned from that mistake. Um, And also, I was really curious how this would all work with things like Breath of the Wild, because it has the new patch that updates it for VR use and Nintendo expected you to hold the Switch in front of you while you were playing it. Once again, what on earth were they thinking? But people said that the the VR of Breath of the Wild itself was pretty cool, but the problem is that you have a game that really should be run in high definition, and now because you're cutting the resolution in half for VR, a lot of the reviews of that said that it took away from the game. Which kind of made me think, if you were to take things like 3DS games or Virtual Boy games and put them on the Switch in that fashion, meant to be used with a VR head strap or something. Uh, I don't think that would take away from it at all and I think it might be a great way for Nintendo to repurpose some of those games. I don't think they will because they, they tend to ignore everything about the Virtual Boy, uh, but maybe the 3DS they'd at least consider because that's a huge library of games. And a lot of people really did enjoy the 3d aspects of it i'm certainly one of them i would play all of my 3ds games with the 3d on full and i just i thought as long as i used the new 3ds in many cases it really added to the game Uh, not all cases but in many cases so who knows maybe this might lead to nintendo making 3ds ports on the switch in 3d or or not obviously they'd have to account for the dual screen thing but whatever just wishful thinking um, and also, if anybody out there uh, knows of a company making something that you could just slide your switch into and strap it on your face, kind of like the hundreds of products like that 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 they have for cell phones these days, I would much rather wear that than a piece of cardboard with a strap on it. So it's probably just as secure, but I'd rather have the peace of mind of something that's really designed to be done like that. So. Uh, leave links down below of your thoughts on any of that, uh, as well as if anybody has a link to a real head strap for the Switch. Somebody's gotta be coming out with it, right? This year's revision demo scene party was recently held in Germany, and as expected, out of it came a bunch of really awesome demo scene videos, some of which I think were showcased last week, and another one which really impressed me was on an Amiga console. Um, Vanessa wrote this up and went into really great detail about how the Amiga played a big part in how demo scene even started to begin with. And while it's something that I haven't really gotten into till recently, it's always so impressive to see what could be pushed from these original consoles. And it's very cool that there's a whole little subgenre of stuff dedicated to this. So anybody who's interested, please check out the links and uh, this thumbnail here with the cell phone in it. That's the part of uh, the Amiga demo scene video I saw that really blew me away. So anybody interested, make sure to skip to that as well. And once again, thanks to everybody that now contributes to Retro RGB for writing stuff like this. Um, I, I'm so appreciative to have expertise of all these different areas of retro gaming because there's no way I could have ever written as good a write-up about the demo scene revision party as Vanessa did. So thank you to everybody who's been contributing. I, I really appreciate it. And stuff like this really, uh, I think, really adds to the site. So. Sorry, bit off-topic, but definitely if you're into demo scenes or Amiga stuff, check out the links in the videos in this post. Video Game Perfection now has stock of open-source scan converters, and they're available for sale right away. Uh, Video Game Perfection is, of course, the original and official reseller of these, um, and he works directly with Marcus, the creator. I think last week, after Ray had talked about the bootleg OSSCs, a lot of people in the comments seemed to misunderstand. And first and foremost, it doesn't matter if a project is completely one hundred percent open source, or even not even open source, just free, you know free to use. There is always still the possibility of somebody doing a low quality, crappy production run. And that should really just be considered a knockoff run regardless, regardless, even if there technically couldn't be a knockoff product. Um, And it's sad because they look identical. You 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 could make the cases look the same. How would people who are buying it know that it's a knockoff or a potential bad quality? And that's why stuff like this is out here. That's why stuff like the Weekly Roundup, the posts that we do. So I think that was the main point, is the Chinese reseller of the OSSC is is selling a lower quality product that may or may not last as long. As far as I know, the only problems the OSSCs have been known to have are when people plug the wrong power supply into it and blow that out, or when they plug in those cheap crappy AliExpress RGB cables and end up sending TTL voltage directly to the OSSC. That's why I always say make sure your consoles are modded right and make sure you get RGB cables from official resellers that people trust you know bigger names that people know like retro access retro gaming cables now insurrection industries and I believe there's one or two others out there um, so in my opinion you know if you're looking to save money you might actually be better off getting a used unit on eBay because as long as it's well taken care of you're gonna have something that lasts a while and me personally would prefer and feel safer buying a used unit coming from a retro gamer that knew what they were doing versus just buying a knockoff and hoping it works um as far as the the open source part marcus has always made the software 100 percent open source but hasn't openly shared the hardware. Now, if anybody had asked, he was always willing to sh- share the design documents with people, especially people in the retro gaming scene that wanted to tweak it, make their own, work on it and stuff like that. But he didn't want to just release it out on GitHub or something to avoid this exact scenario. Some company just picking it up, making cheap clones that are not great quality and may or may not have issues. Um, and that's where we're at now. So. Technically, it's open source. Technically, it's not. It doesn't really matter to me. Just try and stay away from the knockoffs. You know, there's. it just doesn't seem like a smart use of money to drop all that cash on something that might be fine, but might not, and doesn't have a warranty. So it's up to you, I guess, but I just wanted to clarify the whole open source knockoff thing and remind everybody that Video Game Perfection has the official ones in stock. Last week, I was able to both check out a Polymega console in person, as well as interview the CEO of the company, Brian. Uh, So I'm going to give a quick run-through of what I think of the Polymega, and then go back and go to a little bit more of the details around it. The Polymega itself, on launch day, should prove to to be just a basic emulator of the consoles that are listed, so a few different CD consoles, um, and I'm not sure if any of the cartridge modules will be available on launch day. But they're looking to do this legally without and with all of the correct licensing of all the software. So if you think of it from that point of view, think of it like a Retron 5 that doesn't suck, that's updatable, that's not using stolen software. If you look at it from that perspective, this is something that I think is definitely needed at the moment. Because even the most basic of emulation setups, dedicated emulation boxes requires some kind of setup that many of us either don't have the time to do or don't want to bother doing because it's just a skill set that you would have no use for other than to set this up so i totally sympathize with that and it's cool that somebody's at least trying to do that you buy a box you could legally play your discs uh, it'll rip them to the hard drive you could legally play your cartridges it'll rip the roms to the hard drive at the moment it's not going to let you sideload any roms or isos which at launch date, it's fine. Once again, imagine Retron 5 that doesn't suck. So that's what the Polymega will be at launch. And I think the price is probably a little too expensive for most people. I think it's going to be just under $300. Um, but, you know, it's not crazy. And this does have a place on launch day. Beyond that, I do think it has a bunch of potential, but that, of course, all depends on what the company, which is a smaller company, you know, what they want to focus on, what they want to add to it. Um, Brian had grand visions of getting software licenses from other companies and having new games on their platform, which is nice, but I don't know if that would justify the higher price point. Maybe. Uh, I honestly don't know, but he was talked a lot about that in the interview. I personally would like to see things that, uh, you know, people like us, people that would normally go with RGB or an OSSC solution, um, maybe we would have some features on there, some features for us that would make us want to use that on a flat screen versus an original console and an RGB monitor. And I could think of a long list of things, one of which was just mentioned today, the HD rendering of the Mode 7 stuff in Super Nintendo there's a lot of reasons why i would like that but that's all kind of remains to be seen so you know because i was so vocal about their customer service and about um, how there was no real proof that this was a thing i really wanted to make sure to get that out there because i never mind being wrong about things i just always want to make sure that i jump up and tell people because you know i don't want to i'm not trying to fight just to make a point i'm trying to fight to get the truth out so i wanted to make sure to uh, post something on twitter and, uh, and do a follow-up interview to get this info out. So overall, that's the what of the Polymega. It definitely seems real. Uh, everything is legit, so legally licensed stuff. Um, and it just it seems like something that's aiming to be um, a device for the masses that is, allows you to play your old cartridges and discs. So the some more of the behind-the-scenes of this stuff. My friend Arturo said he got invited to check it out. And I of course said, "You got to get me in. I got to see this thing for myself." So I kind of weaselled my way into it. They didn't ask me to go see it, but we were honest. We told them I was coming. Um, I think they were a little surprised. But when I saw, every, you know, Brian was very cordial. I mean, as as most CEOs are, you know, even if I was a dick, which I was not, I imagine he would have just plighted his way through it because that's what good CEOs do. But you know, we, once we talked and realized everything, you know. I, I definitely wanted to at least put this out there and make sure that I told people that this was a real thing, regardless of what you think of their customer service. doesn't matter if you think the, project or the product is for you or not. I just felt the responsibility to do that because I was the one saying, hey, there's some legitimate reasons why this thing might not be real, because based on the information that was out there, it might not have been, but it is. So that's all there is to it. So I think a lot of people get pissed and read into that. Uh No, I was not paid for it. No, I'm not becoming a corporate chill. No, I'm not suddenly on Team Polymega where that's the only thing I want to use. I think it's a cool device um and at the moment at launch day, it's not for me at all, but it might be someday. My only point in jumping in and and doing the interview and doing all this was to just you know say it was definitely real, but to also just tell the truth about it and let everybody come to their own conclusions. And after the first post was set, uh, sent out, just the, hey, I met Brian, Polymega's real, here's some lag testing, there was a lot of really, really awful comments from people. And luckily, after the interview came out, 90%, if not more, were, were understanding. And I completely understand people that still, they were turned off by the customer service, know the product's not for them, they still don't like it. That's all fine. I was never trying to change anybody's mind on that stuff. I just wanted to let people know it's real and here's what it is. And with all due respect to Brian, even in the interview, he spent a lot of time with marketing speak and talking as if he was talking to other CEOs around a boardroom. And I'm glad I was able to kind of reel him in a little bit and just answer the basic questions that us nerds really wanted to know the answers to. So I feel like I accomplished all that. I'm really happy I was able to shed some light on it. Uh, I'm happy that I was able to block a lot of people uh, for for reasons uh, uh, obvious reasons I'm not going to deal with people calling me uh, accusing me of taking money to do stuff like that anybody that's met me for a minute knows that is the last thing I would ever do unless it was for something useless like you know like if buy sponsored me and told me to pay money sure you know a drink no problem has nothing to do with retro gaming I would totally shill for that Casper mattress lay me out in a bed and let me talk about zero lag bedding solutions all good <laughs> But if it comes to the stuff that I actually talk about and care about, I'm always going to just tell you my opinion, which is always based on the facts that I have in front of me. So, uh, you know, huge thank you to everybody who is supportive about that. Supportive on either side. Uh, and, you know, I know you can't please everybody, but uh, the people that accused me of, uh, of taking payment, I don't know what to tell you other than fuck right off. And if you don't like me saying fuck off publicly, fuck you too. <laughs> So after years of not having any really good Game Boy Color backlight solution, we now have three. The Benven and McWill screens that have been talked about, as well as a new one by Midwest Embedded that is selling for $65. So I think what must have happened is somebody must have discovered one compatible LCD screen for sale. Whether it's new or has always been out there, somebody must have discovered it, and then all three of these places just wrote their own... Hardware boards to interface it to the Game Boy Color. So, uh, you know, there, I don't think there's any comparison yet as to which is better, if there even is one that's better, but it's just kind of funny now that we went from zero solutions to three. Um, I've ordered one of them. I can't even remember which one I ordered, to be honest with you, but I will install it in mine and show some footage of that whenever it comes in, um, as well as probably pick up a new Game Boy Color and a new glass front to it. So, really awesome that we have choices these days. Um, and it seems like they're all good quality, so just pick whichever is the easiest for you to get. Super G has just opened pre-orders on the 8x2 edition of the G-Comp Switch. That's the 8-input with two simultaneous output auto switch that's designed for retro gamers in mind. So these ports will take anything as low as 240p as up and up to 1080p and have two outputs going at the exact same time. Uh, I have a prototype here which I've done limited testing, I've done extensive testing on the original which is a very similar design, and I could say that when I did my screenshots, uh, you know, with typical zooming in on Link and stuff like that, you could get, um, you certainly absolutely could not tell a difference even on a 4K or I'm assuming 8K TV, and when zooming in a lot, I couldn't even really tell the difference anyway. So. Uh, This is something that I feel is safe for people to be able to use with their streams or their gaming and not worry about having any noticeable signal loss whatsoever. Uh, I'm sure with any analog signal, if you analyze it close enough, you'd probably find a small difference between the input and the output going through a switch. But as far as all of the testing that I've done, there was no noticeable real-world difference in captures or playing on TV. So, um, you know... I think a lot of people, uh, when they hear the price of something like this and don't understand the features, they kind of scoff and think it's very expensive, which is totally fair. Um, There are cheaper alternatives. If you're looking for a basic mechanical switch, you can get the Otaku switch. Just remember that while that has dual outputs, it's only one at a time. It's not simultaneous. And of course you could find things like those giant Xtron crosspoint devices and get some adapters and and kind of make your own component switch out of that. And all of those are valid solutions, but if you're just looking for one 8x2 automatic switch that you don't have to worry about, you just plug your consoles in, leave them, and then you get two simultaneous outputs, this is for you. I'll be honest, I don't have eight component video sources. I probably only have three or four total. But the dual output and the fact that I know that I could pump this through both my TV and my capture card and not have to worry about signal loss, that is more more than worth the price for me on these things. So hopefully I was able to explain this for the people that didn't really understand what it was. Uh, And if it's still not for you, that's cool too. Um, But I think a lot of us in the retro gaming world were waiting for something just like this. Uh, And especially if you'd switch some of your consoles over to the HD RetroVision cables, now you have a really good, solid solution for it. So anybody looking to pre-order, the link is all in the post, and you should be able to receive yours mid-summer if you pre-order right now. Developer Chris Maltby has just released a free program called Game Boy Studio that lets people with no programming knowledge design both Game Boy and Game Boy Color games. It's a piece of software that runs on OSX, Windows, and Linux, so even Renee can use it. And it's marketed, in my opinion, to people who are artists, or people who already have their own artwork. Uh, Because most people forget, which Ray makes the very good point of in this article, that you still need to have your own artwork, even if you're able to make the most perfect game. And there are sites such as OpenGameArt.org, which allow you to use that stuff for free, but... Uh, you know, overall, you really need to be an artist or to be able to work with an artist to to use tools like this. Um, so I always smile when I see things like that because I see this in Nest Maker and, and think, like, I, yeah, someone can make their own free game. I can't, though. <laughs> I mean, everybody's probably seen my horrible thumbnails. I wish I could just hire somebody to come in and redo all of my thumbnails on all of my videos and half my posts, but. You know, you, uh, so basically think of this as a tool for either artists or people with artist friends that want to help them make a video game. I say all these things lovingly, by the way. I'm certainly not trying to cast any kind of negativity against Game Boy Studio and especially against somebody who would give their th- software away for free for other people to enjoy. I just, uh, I just want to add a, uh, an air of realism to it that, uh, no, anyone can't just download this and make a game. You have to be able to put some good art- artwork on it as well. So uh, hopefully this all came across the right way. Greg Collins has just released the GameStack Display System, which is a set of 3D printed parts that allow you to display your cartridge games with labels propped up and facing out so you could show off your collection. Um, this is perfect for people that have cartridge only and uh, for things like Game Boy Color games and as shown in the thumbnail, also Game Boy Advance, DS, and Switch. It's a pretty cool way to prop them up and display them, as well as store them and uh, keep the cartridge ends away from dust. As always, these are available for purchase on Greg's site, laserbear.net, or if you want, you could have the files that are hosted here. Uh, You could just download those and print your own. Um, I really love that Greg does that, by the way, because there are many of us without 3D printers that really want his work, so to be able to buy them from the creator is awesome. I both get what I want, and I get to support the person creating these things. So, anybody interested, check out the post. Developer Cedric Jules has just announced a very ambitious project for the Neo Geo called Neotris, four-player Tetris for the Neo Geo. Not only is Cedric developing the game around this, but he's also developing a four-player hub controller box. Uh, So obviously this would be designed for AES consoles or any MVS consoles where people have broken out the controller ports as well, and you could connect up to four Neo Geo controllers and be able to battle against each other in kind of like a Bomberman style. Um, I... Absolutely love the idea of this game on a Neo Geo, and you know, anytime you could bring a new arcade experience to the existing stuff, I obviously love that too, Um, and while there's no way to get it now, Neotris would be demoed at Stunfest in France next month, and after that he plans on opening a Kickstarter to help fund the project. Um, I believe he's also going to at least offer a ROM of a demo, um, and then have different ways to purchase it. So I'm pretty excited to try it out. I I certainly will at least be uh, trying the demo on any of the Neo Geo ROM carts that I've been using. Uh, And if it's a decent price, I would love to buy the original cartridge as well. I mean, who doesn't like Tetris, right? So uh, very cool, and I'll keep everybody in the loop as this project moves forward and as the Kickstarter opens. Greg Collins released another 3D print design this week, and this is something that I've been wanting for a very long time. A 3D printed adapter that allows you to use a 32X on modded compatible Genesis 3 consoles. Now, there's a little bit of technical info you might need to know about this, so I'm going to run through it very quickly. Uh, First and foremost, you'll hear a lot of hate about the Genesis 3 online, and I would be willing to bet that 99% of the people that post bad things about the Genesis 3 have never seen one in person or ever even used one because the video output of them is generally quite good, especially for a Genesis console, and the audio is pretty decent, although only mono. The only major issues with the Genesis 3 is some of the functionality has been limited due to the way that the motherboards were made, so none of them support 32X, the game Virtua Racing, Game Genie, or Sega Master System without a modification. The VA2s have a very easy mod to get Game Genie and Virtual Racing compatibility back, but nothing else. So, while those are still good units, they're not for 32x or Master System use at all. The VA1s, on the other hand, could have mods to restore all of that functionality, and if you're doing a triple bypass, you might as well just do all those anyway. And now you can get a Genesis 3 that's a small, compact Genesis, that does absolutely everything a genesis 2 could except have sega cd compatibility because it doesn't have the cartridge port on those i found 32x worked great it was a very cool and fun way to get you know big genesis consoles because don't forget the genesis 1 was that giant tower of power the sega cd and genesis 2s were still wide and big and just to have a small, compact Genesis 3 with a 32X on top of it was way easier for me to deal with. The only problem is, um, a lot of times the 32X would kind of bend one way or the other when it was plugged in, so uh, it would just turn the game off because it would kind of be like if you were wiggling the cartridge while the game was on. So I'd have to keep mine flipped upside down because it would also topple over with a Genesis 3 on it. So while this riser is for definitely a very small and specific group of people, uh, it's designed for people who want to, to mod their console. I would suggest definitely a triple bypass as well. And then use this design to both use a 32X and have the ability to not topple the whole thing over. So giant thank you to Greg for doing this. I believe he's also working on 3D print versions of the Genesis 2 and CDX versions of these. Uh, and I'll be buying every one of them because I just think it's absolutely incredible that Greg stepped up and did what Sega never did for these things. Um, of course, you could get them at laserbear.net directly from him or download the 3D print files for free right from my site as well as uh, I believe they might be on Thingiverse as well. So thank you, Greg, for this. I can't wait to post pictures of me playing my Genesis 3 with the 32X without toppling it over. Here's something I'm really excited about. I'm teaming up with Arturo, a.k.a. Sabin, to host a Virtual Boy Street Fighter table at the May 8th Next Level Battle Circuit event in Brooklyn. So it's still the same NLBC that's there every Wednesday, but I'll have a table set up that will have two Virtual Boys, each running hyperfighting, connected by a link cable, and I'll have two fight sticks with it as well. One of them is going to be just a custom, normal-sized fight stick, and the other is the special edition made by Benj Edwards. Uh, Both of these will be connected to each other, as well as to an RGB monitor and to a stream. So one of them is pretty much a stock Virtual Boy, and the other one has dual virtual taps installed. One going to the RGB monitor in 240p, so anybody watching people playing could enjoy it the same way they would any of the Street Fighter games. And the VGA, the 800x600 output, will be going to a capture card to a 720p stream. That's going to be streamed on this channel, the RetroRGB live stream channel. I think on YouTube and on Twitch, but if nothing else, definitely YouTube. And I'm pretty excited. Um, you know, the the response has been, uh, been pretty awesome and pretty enthusiastic. There's always the occasional troll that's never even seen a virtual before, a virtual boy before, that loves shitting on it. I never understood that because most people, when they see it in person, they think it's a joke, and then they kind of look into it and they love it especially retro gamers because they understand what this was for for what it was, you know, for when it was, I guess. So, I'm excited that we get to do this and I'm excited that it gets to showcase all of the awesome homebrew, both hardware and software in the Virtual Boy scene. And to be honest, really the only thing stock about this entire event is the Virtual Boys themselves. So, this really goes to show off the software from the games, the link cable, people making the arcade sticks, Uh, I'm just very happy to be a part of this. So depending on how many people end up signing up, we might do brackets and make it an actual tournament with a winner uh, if enough people want to participate. Once again, if you're just there for the weekly NLBC, you still have free access to this if you'd like. Uh, We're probably even going to do prizes too. So I'll have more announcements next week, uh, which obviously will air the same day of the event just the morning. But I'll get some more details in this. I'd love to do some fun giveaways, I'd love to do a bracket, and I'd love to have an official winner and make a big deal out of it, but either way I'll be streaming the whole thing, and uh, unlike the last event, I will be on stream the entire time working with whoever wants to play these games. Um, In all honesty, if if you're in the area and you've never experienced anything like this, it's really worth giving a try. Don't be one of those people that just shits on Virtual Boy because they think it makes them sound cool. Give it a try first. It really is awesome to play Street Fighter on it. Um, I just, I have such a good time every time I play it. So uh, everybody's welcome, of course. Um, I'll be streaming the whole thing, and for any concerns, I ordered two new uh, visors from Castlemania Games. So no, you won't be putting your head into some gross 20-year-old visor that God only knows where it came from. These are, Each one will have brand new visor covers that are obviously clean, so you don't have to worry about that stuff. But Either way, I hope to see as many people as can make it, especially Virtual Boy fans, because this is just such a neat thing that not many people have gotten the chance to experience, and now we all can, both the live stream and anybody that wants to show. So, hope to see you there. I guess there might still be hope for the game Paprium? Apparently, the head of Watermelon Games, the now infamous Fonzie, showed up at the lead artist's house and asked him to both play the game and to sign some of the arcade sticks that were part of the original pre-order. So, uh, not really sure what to think of this. Um, You know, I don't know if it's too little too late for some people. I think for sure no one will ever pre-order anything again from Watermelon Games. I uh, I think that's pretty much a given now. But it would be cool if people could either get their money back or get a game. I'm really curious what game people are going to get, though. Because there was a lot of speculation over what was real, what was faked, um, and you know rumors can go through the roof. So who knows about any of that stuff? I just, I'm really curious to see if this will be released and what people will get. Will it be the original mind blowing game with a, the special sound chip, or is it just going to be you know a basic beat 'em up game? I guess time will tell. But if you've pre ordered it and you thought your, uh, uh, you thought your money was gone forever, I guess there's still a little bit of hope. I just. Uh, if I had pre-ordered, which I had not, I would just be keeping expectations low, and maybe you'll be pleasantly surprised, so who knows, but, uh, I certainly was shocked to read that this week. I thought, um, I thought Fonzie was gone forever, and I thought we'd never hear about watermelon games again, so who knows? My Life in Gaming has just posted a pretty detailed video that goes over the different versions of the original Fantasy Star Quadrilogy, and showing scenes from different consoles and what to expect. And as usual, it's my life in gaming, so you know they're going to dig into the, uh, each of the details of the different versions and what they feel is the best. So if you're into Fantasy Star, it's a kind of a must-watch. And then uh, if you want to go back and replay the games, now you can choose the best, method, best methods to go do so. There have been a few updates to the Game Boy interface software since the last time I spoke about it, so I just wanted to combine it into one post and let everybody know. First, for people unaware, Game Boy Interface is a software replacement for the boot disk that came with the Game Boy Player disk for GameCube. It is a much better experience over the original, It adds a ton of features, more accuracy, it looks better, It is, uh, and it's inexpensive to use because all you need is an action replay or a chipped GameCube or one of the boot methods like we talked about a few weeks ago. So, for free software that's pretty cheap to get integrated into your GameCube, it's, in my opinion, the way to play it on a GameCube. I wouldn't even think of using the original boot disk anymore, and it's my favorite way to play on RGB monitors, because the Game Boy Advance Consolizer only supports HDMI. So, uh, this really is my go-to for all Game Boy gaming on an RGB monitor. There's been a, a bunch of changes and updates. Um, I think the two that stuck out to me were some of the high def modes are now compatible with GC video DVI solutions, meaning some of the plug and play stuff. And uh, Xtrems updated the color matrices by Pokefan 531. And Pokefan was the one that did the different color palettes that tried to make on a flat screen TV, uh, the games feel the way they did on the original non-backlit GBA screen. So I was really impressed with those and I'm glad Xtrems is keeping up with it. So anybody interested, uh, you know, it's, it's free. It's better than the original Game Boy Player software. Uh, if you have the ability to boot homebrew, in my opinion, you should really be using this one. And as always, thanks to Xtrems for staying on top of all this stuff. There's a new Atari Lynx ROM card out called the Aga Cart, I think that's how you say it. And it's not quite a traditional ROM card. You load up all of your ROMs on an SD card. And then you select your game using buttons on the actual ROM card itself. And then when you power on the links or reboot the links, then it boots into that game. So it's fairly inexpensive at only $65. And it seems like a good way for people to get just a handful of games on their links. Uh, Maybe you already own the whole collection and you just want to run homebrew or something like that. It seems like it makes sense for things like that. But... Myself, personally, really prefers just a GUI and being able to select your game and scroll through quickly and not have to reference a sheet of what number is on the sheet versus what number is in the slot. But overall, I really think this has a place in the Lynx world. I think a bunch of people are going to be interested in it, and I wanted to let people know about it. And of course, if you wanted a more traditional ROM cart, check out my video on the Lynx SD, which is uh, the more standard ROM cart feel and uh, experience. Before I go, I just wanted to let people know that I will be in Jersey this Saturday at the Debonair Music Hall, which used to be in Mexicali. Uh, I believe the band 12 Stones is headlining and one of my favorite bands is uh, I think the direct opener. So uh, anybody that wants to just listen to some Jersey metal and get stupid with me, definitely show up for that one. Uh, You'll get to see me make an ass of myself. So (laughs) whatever if you're into that. Uh, Figured I would just let any of my Jersey folk know. And of course, as you would expect, I'm really looking forward to that Virtual Boy event. Uh, I'm serious when I say how excited I am about it. I want to show off all that stuff. So even if you have the slightest bit of interest, come to the NLBC event. Uh, check that out as well those are always a lot of fun and have fun at the virtual boy table i really hope to see everybody there but that's it for this week so as always thank you so much to everybody who supports and contributes because without any of you none of these things would happen Uh, and thanks for the people that just watch and listen and comment because shockingly, the YouTube comments are mostly awesome, which is not what I could say about a lot of other places. So I really, really appreciate that. Always interested in hearing what people have to say. Even if you disagree with me, as long as you're not a total ass about it, awesome. Bring it on. So thanks so much to everybody and I'll see you next week.